pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to One Life Left with GDC uh, at the Game Developers Conference in the Moscone Center in San Francisco. It is a bright and beautiful day uh, and we are stuck inside again. Um, things have heated up. Yesterday was very, very chilly outside. Things have got a lot warmer and a lot warmer um, in the hall as well. Is that right? There's a lot more people. Well, that's because the expo started. opened. The expo opened today and the expo is the slightly fractionally more public facing part of GDC where people sort of wander around point at games and as Kerry said on the first show ask long-winded questions which are really just cries for help <laughs> uh, my name is Steve Curran I'm a video game designer uh, hello I'm Simon Byron I work at Curve Digital I'm Anne Scantlebury I'm an audio producer and together we are One Life oh, yeah. Left back in the UK we present a radio show um, on Resonance 104.4 FM, which this is going to broadcast on as well. But we're also joined by Alex. Hello, I'm uh, Alex from Gama Sutra. I have a great view of the bathrooms here in these fantastic couches. Thanks for having me. In fact, it is, it is just coincidence that Alex is on the show, isn't it? Because you'd be sat here anyway, just admiring the view. This is the prime seating area. Exactly. Sure. People watching. Over the next hour and a half, we're going to have an array of wonderful guests. Um, I'm going to start strong, I think, today, uh, with Rebecca and Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Hi. And Rebecca. Hello. Hey, guys. Uh, so you're both here doing talks um, this week. Which is the thing. Which is the, is the yeah. You said that like you were surprised. Well, so you're doing this strange thing, a, a, a talk? There's a lot of talking this week. Um, have, you, have either of you done your talks? Yes, yeah. on Monday. Yep. Yeah. Okay. On Monday. Yeah. Oh, great. So High fives. Yeah. What times were you on? <laughs> You weren't up against I was each other. in the morning or okay. something. At yeah. three o'clock. Wow, it was awesome. Uh, Get it out, be done. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Kurt, could you let us know what your talk was, what it was about? Yeah, um, I make indie video game trailers, and I was talking about making virtual reality trailers, where you tr it's called mixed reality, where you take uh, the person that's actually playing the game and you shoot them on a green screen and you composite them into the virtual environment to kind of show what it's like to be in that game actually playing it. And it's a better way of communicating virtual reality than just, you know, first-person footage and stuff. I did a talk about it, so that's the short version. <laughs> yeah. Um, and did you uh, did you get any feedback from people uh, who wanted to talk to you afterwards about yeah, what you said? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard problem right now. I mean, VR is like in the baby phases and everything like that, so everyone's trying to figure out how to make their product or game or whatever it is stand out, right? And so mixed reality right now is kind of like the best thing going for like marketing purposes for VR for like traditional trailers, right? So if you just want something that's easy to communicate and makes the viewer understand what it is, it's, it's probably one of the best ways to do it. So yeah, I've given the talk a couple times now this is I think the third time or something like that and I gave it with Colin Northway as well who was like the creator of fantastic or one of the creators of fantastic contraption and he helped kind of pioneer that tech as well so we kind of worked together to make it all happen yeah it was fun it was great what's uh, what are the immediate differences between indie game trailers and sort of general triple-a trailers Six figures. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, there's a lot. I mean, that's they have a lot of money. I mean, in the AAA, you see a lot of like pre-rendered cinematics. You see Blur. You see, you know, and uh, like a uh, Blizzard like doing these insane trailers that you know take months to like you know create and render and animate and blah blah blah. With indie game trailers, I mean, you're working with people that have like zero marketing budget or next to zero marketing budget, and you know, it's for them to try to find or try to produce a trailer on their own. It's very difficult. Because video and editing and you know just that whole process is completely different than actually making a game. So doing it themselves is really really difficult. And so if you're able to just like find someone or work with another person who doesn't have as much overhead as say a studio like myself, I just work in the basement, you know, and then that's they can come to somebody like that to do what it. What would you say the essential ingredients are for an indie game trailer? Oh, well, that's, yeah, it needs to, like, basically for an indie game trailer, you just focus on what makes your game unique. I mean, if you can do anything, that's key, right? Just make sure, you, like, don't focus on X feature, Y feature that every other game has. Just focus on what makes your game different. And as far as the structure of the trailer, you just want to make sure it's entertaining, it's engaging, and, you know, it's like a minute and a half, and it's, it's got a sort of a story arc to it. There's a beginning and a middle and an end, and you take that person on the journey through your game in that, like, minute and a half. And if you can do that, generally you will have a successful trailer. And have a really good music, too. That helps. <laughs> so, like, and this kind of ties into what, uh, Becca, you were talking about the show. Like, how do you, how do you now Navigate the demands of a client versus what you think is best in a trailer. Like, have you ever had any sticky situations where, like, no, someone's like, I want like 10,000 explosions and like a giant spaceship, and you're like, yeah, no. you know, the Michael Bay explosions. Yeah, and, you know, it's honestly, it's uh, at least for me personally, I find a lot of developers will trust what I think is best, but it's always a back and forth, right? I mean, the developers know their games best, you know, but if there's and I. I always, like, when I'm, I'm working by myself, you know, and but when I'm working with the, the developer, it, it's like a team effort. We're all both basically trying to do the same thing and make the best product possible or make the best, like, video possible to convey the game. So, yeah, there is back and forth, and, you know, sometimes it's like I will push in a certain direction, but, I mean, if the developer can make the case that, yeah, you know, we, we need to show X, Y, and Z because of whatever the reason is, then, yeah, of course I will go with that if it makes sense, you know. Yeah, Becca, I saw you talk uh, Monday, right? Yes, it was like, You gave this great talk about um, making sure that conflict within a studio is good conflict and not yeah, bad. Yeah, so um, my husband and I run a small studio called Finji. Um, we actually just released Night in the Woods last week, so we're a little tired this week. Um, 
But yeah, over the last like decade, we have uh, made a lot of mistakes. Um, uh, we work on small teams, and a lot of times we work with our best friends. Um, obviously, I work with my husband. Um, and we talked a lot about how, um, from the very basic foundation of putting your team together, you can create a way to communicate um, that sort of flattens the hierarchy and flattens the ego. So when you bring ideas to the table um, through the development process, you're not... Um, everyone kind of has a say. Um, so there's like some certain steps that we like had, we talked about, which is like, um, if there's a problem, like in your, as you're developing something, like you identify the problem, like I would identify the problem. And then I would have to do the legwork, um, to propose the solution. Like, I can't just be like, Hey, you like your artwork sucks. Uh, you got to fix it. It's like, Hey, I think this artwork's not working. Here are the things that I think we could do to fix it. And here are the pros and cons of that. Um, which, uh, is super concrete and flat. So, um, I mean, (laughs) we're indies, like there's a reason we're indies. It's because we're like, we can't work with other people. At least (laughs) this is something that that Adam says all the time. He's like, I just can't take orders from anyone. I'm like, yeah, it's because your ego is enormous. And it's, (laughs) And he totally, he will. You know he would say that. <laughs> so it's it's really nice to be on, like, uh, we've worked uh, a lot together to be able to sort of flatten this. Like, two of the people working on the game internally, like Overland, um, have never shipped a game before. And we're making a hardcore strategy, like, turn-based game um, in a genre they're not super familiar with. But we hired them because they're brilliant. Um, so how do we get these brilliant people to um, sort of fight back against the people who are like, like, we pay them we have more experience than them, and how do we sort of get them up um, uh, working with us at sort of the level we expect as fast as possible? And it's, yeah, this um, really interesting dynamic that we have uh, insist upon in our, in our studio practice. So that's what my talk was about. So, yeah. So you, said, uh, you just shipped Night in the Woods. We did, yeah. So I, um, we're a small indie studio, so we develop games internally, but we also um, publish sort of... Uh, I can't say small games because Night in the Woods is not small. <laughs> Night in the Woods is enormous, um, but games made by small teams. Um, and a lot of times, teams that don't want to run companies. Um, Scott and Bethany are actually in Pittsburgh. Um, Al Coloca is over in Winnipeg. How, they both run their own independent studios. Like, would they start a new studio? And Adam and I have been doing this forever, and we're not really going anywhere. Um, so, yeah, we took on this publishing project after they kickstarted it back in 2013. Um, we've sort of been kind of stepping along with them for the last three years. Surely, what are the changes, uh, you know, the differences in you acting as a developer and you acting as a publisher of someone else's work? Uh, For me, actually, there's not a lot of difference. Um, I do a lot of the business and production side of things. Um, So I interface with Sony. That's partly why we enjoy publishing. It's like, I have to do this for my own games. Um, So it's really easy for me to be like, hey... Uh, console person, I'm also representing X, Y, and Z as well, so I can just like knock out these phone calls, and it's easy for them. So they're not like trying to chase down like seven thousand independent indies who hate like using email or re- responding ever. Um, I, I love my friends so much, but they're really bad sometimes at business. Um, so for me, it's actually not that different, um, depending on what project I'm working on. However, I also do design and narrative work on our internal projects. So I have sort of this creative outlet, but then I do day in and day out just, just lots of business. <laughs> Kurt, uh, we've got a couple more days of the conference left. Do you have any recommendations for talks that people might go and check out? 
I am really excited about the Industrial Light and Magic talk that is happening later today. John Knoll, I don't know, he's the CEO, like he's the head dude of ILM now. And I used to work in the visual effects industry for eight years working on like a whole bunch of really bad Hollywood movies. So I am 100% prepared to completely nerd out and geek out and try to get a selfie with John Knoll and have him sign my BB-8. Becca, what about you? This is awful. Just... Because we shipped Night in the Woods last week, I came into GDC like, I just have to survive this week. I mean, I'm, it's, it's been like a really intense like six weeks for us because um, we're a very, very small team. Um, so I'm absolutely a vault watcher. I've been in meetings basically nonstop. Um, the three talks that I was most excited about actually already happened at the IGS earlier this week. Um, and I, Well, four, and I actually missed one of them because I was actually in a, a meeting. Um, so I, to be perfectly honest, I suggest if I you check out the schedule and like watch a, a vault talk every single Sunday for the rest of the year. <laughs> Whatever you miss, you pick it up because, I mean, that's what we do in order to catch up. Then you never really have to leave GDC ever. Uh, ever. <laughs> it always feels like I'm always in San Francisco. Perfect, guys. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, have a good uh, conference. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, welcome back to One Life Left at GDC, presented by Gamma Sutra. Um, it's very busy in here today. It's very, very busy. Lots of people just wandering around. Uh, we've got the uh, the expo halls open. We've got uh, Alt Control booth is open there. And I was chatting to Philippa War earlier. She was saying there's some very good games there. Interesting. So I'm going to go and check that out later. <laughs> How are you enjoying uh, being on, on on screen? I'm just trying to ignore it. Sam. Are you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to look you in the eyes. Best way of dealing with it. Um, so we are back and we've got two brand new guests with us. We have uh, Raina Anderson and Issei Karen. Hello, both of you. Hi. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Very, very good. Very busy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're doing a talk this week. Yeah, I, I, I had a talk about uh, tutorials um, on Monday. I got it out of the way, so I'm, I'm ready to party. <laughs> um, <laughs> ready to party. That's good. Can you, uh, can you tell us about your talk? Uh, sure. Um, so I made a game called Mushroom 11, which I released last year, and I'm releasing uh, on mobile in a couple of days. And while trying to teach a game that's uh, pretty complicated to comprehend, it's uh, you you understand the limitation of how you need to teach uh, players, especially when it comes to new mechanics. Uh, so after many years of development and understanding that actually we don't, I don't know how to teach. Uh, so you learn, you, you see how people react to your, uh, your, your mechanics, and you have all these points that just kind of sink in. Uh, so I gathered everything into like a set of uh, kind of a, uh, edible tips of how to make tutorials using puzzles. That's, that's like my, I, I don't like text, I don't like pop-ups, so I'm trying to avoid those. Um, I, I'm a puzzle guy, so I, I, I try to teach people with puzzles. Um, so that's what that's that's what uh, I try to, to make a talk about. I'm so glad you're here today uh, on this couch next to me because I've been wanting to ask you a question for years. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what happened to mushrooms one through ten? <laughs> All right. So one of the things that I wanted to do. Um, sometimes I kind of regret that, but I I, I left the, the story of Mushroom Eleven uh, kind of in the shadows. It's in the background of the game. I never. Uh, the player is never confronted with the story. You never have to know anything. You never have to go through dialogues. Um, but all the story is actually told in, in with all these uh, artifacts that you see in the background. 
uh, t- some texts, graffitis, um, all these things that you see uh, in the in- in imagery. And even that, the, the one through 10, all the hints are there. Um, will I tell you right here what happened? That's a no. <laughs> no, uh, but I'm after after the broadcast. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, is that a scoop? Uh, uh, between us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. Great. <laughs> I'm good. I'll, I'll take. I'll see you guys. All right. <laughs> Rainer, stories are your thing, aren't they? A little bit. So, how, what do you think about this storytelling technique of just not telling the story? You gotta leave that that air of mystery. The suspense. This is a lot of mystery. He's just saying he won't tell us, and he's not telling anyone. Well, he's saying that he will tell him, and will tell. But he won't tell us. The scoop for one. Well, you're gonna have to buy it, right? Uh, I suppose so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) Uh, Raina, what are you talking about at GDC? Uh, I talked yesterday at the Narrative Summit about um, storytelling as a team sport. So I worked with uh, Ryan Benno, who's an environment artist at Insomniac, and obviously, environment artists and narrative designers, we tell stories differently in games but we all still have to tell them together. Okay, so who's in charge? And that's the thing, is yeah. trying, like, how do you work together with people who are all in charge of telling the story in their own ways, using different methods, and likely going to be locking horns at some point? So what's the answer? You can see it on the vault. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Uh, um, so where, where, where do you work? I'm at Eidos Montreal. Okay, what's that like? It's fantastic. I really enjoy it. Good answer. It. Strong answer. <laughs> what's it really like? I get to make cool games with interesting stories. Yeah. What have you, what have you made in the past? What have you worked uh, on? Most recently, I worked on uh, Mankind Divided, uh, Deus Ex, and okay. uh, we just released the DLC uh, Criminal Past last, uh, last week. So Mankind Divided, that's, that's a huge task for a narrative designer, right? Like. There's a few of us. Okay. <laughs> You're not just a narrative designer. And who's in charge? Mary DeMarle. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the answer. So when you're working on narrative for a game like that, like how do you decide which narrative bits go in the computers and which narrative bits go on the post-its on the walls? Like How do you break that stuff down? <laughs> well, I mean, that all has to be decided when you're talking about the environment. And again, it's back to the who's telling what bits of the story and making sure it's all coordinated. I think that uh, something you were saying about tutorials fits with this, is that the, the best tutorials, when you, when you hit tutorial, uh, well, when you see the word tutorial in a video game, everyone immediately recoils, right? Because you don't want to spend half an hour of your valuable, precious life being taught things. You just want to go straight into the, uh, into the game. And it becomes about teaching through stealth, right? Like teaching through stealth. Absolutely. In fact, I, I don't remember where I heard it, but the word tutorial is pretty much a, uh, a no-no. You, you're not supposed to use mm. it anymore because once you tell people you're going to teach them, they immediately look for the skip button. Yeah, uh, and, and we are trying to make sure that they don't have that uh, opportunity to... Um, you know, skip or not, or like not observe the things that we want them to to, to look at. Um, so we have all these tricks, and again, this is things that you learn just by making those mistakes. You see people, you, you let you let them play, and you understand. Oh, okay, I, I clearly had have no understanding of how players actually experience the thing that I worked on. So, and I imagine the same is true of stories as well. The best stories are not just told in a linear post-it note fashion, but also through, as you say, the environment. Yeah, I mean, everybody has to contribute, whether it's the sound is going to tell a story, the art, even just the way that the levels are laid out. Um, 
Deus Ex is huge on the environments. The architecture tells a huge story about the uh, the, the game as well. Uh, what have, have you got any recommendations for talks for the rest of the week? Things that people should see or see on the vault, maybe? Uh, for this week, I mean, I've got probably about five, uh, five talks per time slot highlighted in my agenda. So it's just kind of whatever's closest is usually what I end up going into. I'm up against Sid Meier. <laughs> it takes the pressure off to a point. Like, Are I'll, you anywhere near him? I'll be, uh, no, I'm in a completely different building. Okay, I'll be relieved if I show up, frankly. <laughs> I'll show up. Uh, you know that we have the giant wall of um, talks behind us. All we need to do, Steve, is just get up there early, change the just room number on everyone Sid. Else <laughs> we can get everyone to you, I reckon. Everyone. Just add Zelda to the front. Uh, exactly. Uh, I noticed you're, uh, you're wearing a Mushroom 11 cap. Have you, have you, have you had people come up with you and uh, take, take selfies, ask for your autograph, anything like that? Yeah, especially, I mean, the, uh, the game has been doing pretty well. Recently, we just uh, participated in a big uh, bundle. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the, the charity band yep. bundle where yep. like, uh, all proceeds go to uh, various uh, organizations. And we have a lot more fans now. Fantastic. So that... It's kind of cool to because there are literally like three, four hats right now in the wild, uh, and uh, when people you know look, point at my head and like, oh, that's a cool game, it's like, ah, thanks. Because yeah. I mean, um, one thing I have spotted this GDC, which is slightly different to other ones, is that um, well, uh, people are going to greater efforts to stand out because I think it's getting busier. There are so many people here. Uh, I saw one of the guys who's making Snake Pass coming down the escalator he's got a huge inflatable snake wrapped around him uh. just to stand out so I was like where can we see this going next year for Mushroom 12 it will be a, <laughs> dressed up as a huge mushroom I guess that's a great idea yeah I yeah, no, this guy walking around with um, a flashing car on his head and I was like what's this for he said oh it's just a conversation starter did you see the space engineer no. What's the space engineer doing? Just a giant red, like, space yes. wandering around. Well, I, I don't even know what that was for. <laughs> but very but interesting. But he's got us talking. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, with your um, work with storytelling, is there anything that you do to open up conversations? Like, uh, presumably you can't stick a giant pen on your head. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get uh, conversations started with people? Uh, generally just going up and asking like at, at GDC what talk were they most interested in that they've seen lately it's everybody's got something that they're passionate about and excited about that they've seen so it's always Sid Meier that's the problem <laughs> or Warren Spector <laughs> good well thanks guys uh, for coming on the show hope you have good conference for the rest of the week have you got any exciting plans evening plans things you might want to invite us to no yeah knew it. that happens every time doesn't it <laughs> That's uh, all right. <laughs> See you later. Thank you. Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC with Gamma Sutra. We remain in the uh, lobby of the Moscone North. Um, it's a beautiful view, isn't it, of people coming down the escalators. Such hope and wonder on their faces. So many things on their heads. It's like a waterfall See, you, of joy. Previously, in previous years, we were by the escalator. We were. Uh, you know, so when they looked, they would look over the banister and they would, they would see us. What's going on there? things on your head. But instead, we've been <laughs> shifted away, perhaps because, yeah, we got things dropped on us all the time. Yeah, we, we, um, yesterday in this area, we had uh, people eating. They haven't made that mistake again. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good radio. They've moved them away from us. uh, Yeah, we're joined by two fantastic guests, Tanya and Richard. Welcome. 
Tell Thank us, you. Tell us, Sanya, what brings you to GDC? Um, well, I gave three talks three. already. Three. Yeah. All right. And, uh, all they're right. All, they're Steve's all done worried now. about one. So now, now it's just party time, you know? No important meetings at all that I'm allowed to talk about. Okay. <laughs> Three talks then, so uh, let's do them in order. What was the first one? Was it? How did it go? Procedural personalities, maximizing the impact of your artificial intelligences. Okay. Um, and it went really well. It was in the PCG shotgun talk. Um, right. And uh, there were a lot of other great micro talks in there as well. Um, can you give us some good examples of people who are using procedural character generation? Oh, absolutely. Kid Fox Games <laughs> is uh, using them to great effect in our next game, The Shrouded Isle. Um, but also, I used examples from Civilization VI and King of Dragon Pass and lots of other uh, lovely procedural personalities. The Sims, of course. Can you give us good examples of when procedural personality generation goes wrong? Well, the number one risk that I outline at great length is the problem of personalities being very, very subtle. Um, it's, it takes time to get to know someone, and so if that person is an artificial character, um, players A, have to have a reason to actually think there's going to be an interesting personality there, and B, they have to see both the reasoning of why they're trying to do it, and then what they actually did. So it's, it's a lot of information to cover. Um, and. The, real, the biggest danger when generating personalities is that it appears that everything is random and nothing's actually there. Are you concerned using all this procedural generate stuff that's going to put lots of people out of, out, out of work? No, it's going <laughs> to employ more and more people. I think people who aren't willing to think systemically about their content might have trouble in the future. But I think we're all extremely intelligent, talented people. And so it's a question of whether... Um, some people are too close-minded to think about how to make their content able to be more modular. But I don't think it takes away any authorship at all. Okay. Uh, so let's talk number one. Let's talk about talk number two. <laughs> well, what about Richard? We oh, I've even... only got one talk this yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to come to him between talks two and three. All right. All right. All right. So my talk number two yesterday was in the Indie Soapbox at the end of the Indie Game Summit. And it was an impassioned speech about how... You can meet hard deadlines and also take care of yourself. Madness. Yeah. I don't believe it. Okay. There, was a, there, was, there was a three-point slide on that that I saw getting passed around. Uh, wasn't the, the first point was, sorry, shipping your game was the third right. most so, important. So, I mean, it opens with the idea that everyone has making a great game as their number one priority. Yeah. And it's true that we all want to make great games. The problem is that when that is your number one priority... Um, I mean, your, your number one priority should be not dying, <laughs> and that is because your next game will be better. So you have to survive, you have to keep making games, and if you burn out too early, that's not going to happen. So you're just going to make that one game, which is hopefully great, but you don't know. And no matter how great it is, your next one will be even greater. So survive is the, the outline. Does this advice come from personal experience? Um, yes, I have made all of the great games. <laughs> and you're done. You no. burned out all of the time. No, no, no. I, um, Kit Fox doesn't crunch. We do overtime a couple of weeks here and there as needed to meet hard deadlines. But um, we find that we are more productive when we manage our time well and when we're at our sharpest, uh, which does require learning production skills. It's, it's hard. It's constant effort. But um, Moon Hunters uh, was made with very little overtime. And there is a slide in there as well when it's on the vault, you can see that there's lots of award-winning games that were made without any burnout. Um, Don't Starve, Hundreds, Cannibal, there, there's tons in there that are just great games. What's really sad is Tanya asked some friends for 
opinions about like when did you burn out how did it go and I wrote up two pages about it <laughs> and then was too burned out to finish it to a point where I could send it to you so uh, sorry but I'm a case study in burnout right now okay so. Was that what your what your one talk was about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never talk about my personal failings, only my great triumphs. Uh, no, the one talk I have is actually a multi-person talk that I am hosting and curating called uh, Rules of the Game. And we take five designers who each talk for ten minutes about uh, different rules they use in designing games, like personal things that they do that you haven't heard elsewhere before. So... We've got everyone from uh, Chelsea Howe, who now works at Alchemy, to uh, Damien Schubert, who's lead designer on Star Wars The Old Republic, to uh, Hal Barwood, who's a legend of GDC, is coming back to talk uh, about some of the Indiana Jones games he made a while ago. I've got Christine Norman from Riot, and finally Luke Muscat from Pretty Great. Wow, so that's it's a five designers. Yeah, no, they're all amazing talks and all super different from each other. So I actually have a the theme that has emerged from all the talks this year is. Uh, everything you know is wrong. And I didn't actually give them a theme, but they all just sort of went with like, no, you're thinking about this thing wrong. But it was all very different. So it's interesting. So that was the, that was the theme of, of Rami's talk on the first day as well, which was that all advice is, is I bad. Saw, I saw This that is a very right confusing conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and when you're in the advice-giving business, particularly, I think, it becomes trickier when you're talking about, like, I just advise people about game design, and I feel less responsibility, whereas Rami or... Or, or Tanya's talk is more about life balance stuff. When you're giving advice there, it can be uh, more tricky. Serious. When you get it wrong, there's bigger consequences. I, like in college, when I was in a computer science programming class, they always used the example of the cancer treatment machine that was programmed wrong and dosed people with 10 times too much radiation and killed them as like a why you should do code review and check your code well. And that's why I work in games now, because everybody's <laughs> safe. Yeah. Can you give us any um, examples of these uh, one rules? Well, they're all surprises. Okay, it hasn't happened yet. There. No, it's uh, t- yes, it's this afternoon okay. at 5 o'clock for right. those who are watching at home and running to Moscone later. But we have to have a preview. I mean, I saw Chelsea's talk this morning. She's brilliant. Yes, yes. So, she did like, another talk, which was fantastic, yeah. uh, just a, an hour ago. Um, she is actually talking. I'll do hers. She's up first, so it's the least spoilery. She's <laughs> talking about fractals as a game design thought exercise of how looking at different parts of your design as fractals of each other and how you scale up from introducing a mechanic to using that mechanic over the long term to maybe using it over many years and like a game as a service or something and then also but then takes it to also talk about project management thinking about that fractally and it's really not something you've seen before so I, I, it's, I think it's a great talk I'm looking forward to seeing her do it Fantastic. And then, Tanya, quickly, (laughs) the third talk. Yes, my third talk this morning um, was about the mentorship program of the nonprofit that I run in my free time called Pixels and how it's changed over the last four years and uh, grown and become interesting. Wow. Is there, is there a difference, we think, in uh, how relaxed both you are? So yours is yet to come, and you've done your three. You're able to enjoy GDC now. Yes. How are you feeling at the moment? You? I'm a little, a little like I should be working on the slides <laughs> right now. Really? Yes. But I was doing it over there, and I okay. will return to doing it. Well, I have a good story for you. Last night, when I was going to pre- do my final run-through, my laptop wouldn't boot up. Oh. I had to reboot not it to, about not, 30 times. Not to give you any worry or anything like that, <laughs> no. but have you checked Where's your laptop? laptop? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so, Tanya, what are you going to be doing now that you are done with your talks? Well, I do actually still have many business meetings, actually. Um, So running a studio of seven people, you have to wear a lot of hats, as they say. And I am everything that isn't programming and art. So that means I have to meet with all of our business partners. I have to meet with 
uh, press. I have to meet with everybody that I ever want to meet with because nobody else is going to do it. Um, so that's most of my the rest of my week. Is it quite handy having everyone all in the same place so you can just get through them? You got all these meetings to do. Let's bam, bam, bam. Yes. Get them done in a week. You don't have to do any more for the rest of the year. Yes, especially if there was no such thing as like email follow-ups or like <laughs> contract negotiations. That would be great. Actually, I've, I don't think I've, we've spoken about um, the weeks after GDC, how that affects your workflow. And because everyone is focused so heavily on it, you know, if you're doing a talk, then you want the talk to be great because that's going to be up on the vaults and that's going to be out there for ages. But And if you've got business meetings, you want to be there. No and pressure. Present. No pressure. <laughs> um, you you want to be present for the business meetings and you want them to go well. But, you know, so you sort of end up having a bit of burnout during GDC. And then in the weeks after, you, you still have to keep going. You've got to follow up on these meetings. Like, how has how that affected you? It's or, even worse. Because next week's is PAX East. Yeah. So oh, gosh. where yeah. is the follow-up? Where I is only the have a few days. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. But in those few days, I'll be um, yeah, sorting through my business cards. At the very least, sending a LinkedIn invitation. Um, and at the most, sending a, hey, I'll talk to you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, honestly, it is helpful to stack it all as much as possible. Because the more often I can do a day that is just game design the better my life will be. Um, so that's the goal. <laughs> so GDC helps you in the long run with I think, the, oh, absolutely. getting back to your game design. Yes, yes. And Richard, what happens to you at uh, four o'clock onwards? Four, you mean, uh, you mean, well, my talk's at five. Oh, okay, then so. six, six, <laughs> six o'clock onwards. There's a little bit of stress. <laughs> now, I've been doing a bunch of uh, PR meetings for the game I'm working on, The Church in the Darkness. Uh, so I have a bunch more of those tomorrow. Uh, my thought about meetings in GDC is I somehow wish the meetings were before or after GDC so you could go to talks and stuff. And I, in year to 10 years ago, when I went to GDC, I've been doing this a little while, uh, I would go to talks a lot. It was fantastic. I wish I could do that again full time. Yeah, my first time was 2003, and going to talks was so amazing. Those well, you're, were good you're too busy giving them. <laughs> I guess so. That's the only way you can get to see them these days. You've I guess. turned up to if, if a minimum of three. Yeah. So, you know, that's something at least. What I'm hearing is we should make GDC longer. Like maybe just a month. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't even. the weekends. Yeah. You know, ruin family life some more. I, I am a pacifist. <laughs> but but I should, should, I just, should I just quiet <laughs> that's down? That's all I'm else? saying. <laughs> this microphone is heavy, though, so I'm really a pacifist. Yeah, I was talking earlier that because GDC used to used to just be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and now it's Monday, Tuesday. And it's it's. I mean, that's what happened. That's feature creep in conferences, isn't it? Like it really is. Uh, enjoy the rest of your shows, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Welcome back to One Life Left versus not versus with Gama Sutra at GDC 2017 it's our fifth year doing this is it from the show floor I think so this is the first year we've got a couch though uh, usually we have two guests per segment we've only got one now, there's a lot of distance between us Steve. <laughs> I might uh, don't you just slide on up there we go <laughs> there we go feels good make the most of the sofa while we still have it do you know yesterday um, there's, there's some sort of like because obviously there's a couch in a hall and when we're not here it's quite tempting for people to come and sit on it with, you know yeah. just to use it to eat their right. eat their dinner um uh, yesterday, I, I sort of came back, found Anne, and found some people sitting here. And I was a little bit indignant about it. I was thinking, don't, don't they know it's the one like But I had a really, really nice uh, conversation. Who were they? Uh, it was a woman called Julie, and she was a broadcaster. 
uh, as well, so I thought it's a radio couch. She's allowed okay. to sit down. Let's hope some uh, of her yeah, broadcasting that's... skills rubbed off on Yeah, it. let's hope so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we are a radio show back in London, but we're also Twitch streaming right now. Did you notice that the sofa's got plugs? I did notice that. Do they Whoa. work? Is that a thing? Yeah, I, well, let's I try it. In the next break, I'm going to give it a go. Okay. Good. Uh, we do have a guest, Herman. Hello. Hi, Herman. Thank you for joining us. Where are you from? From London. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's not at all Tell us awkward about London. that you guys just lay on each other's laps. That yeah, was great. No. That, was, that was a warming thing for me. I enjoyed that. that was, so it you know, took us coming out to San Francisco to get you from London, where we're from, on the radio show. That's true. We're just following that's you around true. the world to try Although and get you Although we've just opened a San Francisco it. office. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like... I'm, I'm, I'm and who is in. we? Improbable. Great name. It is a, <laughs> this is a really strong name. doesn't rhyme with anything. No, no. Was this a rapping segment? Tell us about Improbable. Cool. So there's about 150 of us. Uh, we're all refugee computer scientists from different industries. And we had a little dream, which was, how can we make a technology that's going to make game developers able to build kind of massive worlds with huge persistent systems in them, thousands of players in the same world? Basically, all the stuff that was on the back of MMO boxes from the 90s in right. marketing material, we want to make that real. Okay. That's like what we're here to do. And also, we, we ended up realizing that with something like Spatial, it basically just makes it easier for developers to create any kind of online or connected experience. Like thinking about servers is a hassle, thinking about networking is a hassle, and it just it's brain power that you could be using doing something important, like and actually cool with your game. So we wanted to build a community to make that happen. And you know, this is our first like real GDC with like a stand and everything. Everyone's like super nervous. We have like 20 engineers wandering around the floor, like getting used to what we're doing and showing off games. And it's just the community can be actually really welcoming and really uh -huh. wonderful. Like we we feel like we've kind of really got to arrive here and we've brought a lot of developers with us who are working on special games and so we're kind of announcing them tomorrow at our talk oh, as well I was going to say oh, who you're you working with you can, you can bring it oh. forward yeah, well, well, these guys won't of, tell like, they won't <laughs> tell anybody else well there's a couple of great developers we, we can talk about um, one of them is uh, Bossa Studios great developer in London making an amazing game called Worlds Adrift if you've ever wanted to be a sky pirate in a massive 2000 kilometer square world with other sky pirates and have a huge ecology and build things and have the world be persistent it kind of gives you that it's probably the more most freeing online experience I've ever played. Also the most frustrating because uh, Beatles and Manta Rays apparently seem to be sexually attracted to my ship. I, I don't know <laughs> something about design that I created there and, uh, you know, and I'm just feeling like I'm getting a lot of unwanted attention from the ecology. Um, so I'm going to bring that up with Enrique tomorrow. Are you working with anybody outside of London? Because I'm feeling left out here. Oh, well, yeah, actually. Um, there's Ninpo, a great French studio. Um, so not, not American, but, you know, yeah. There's Klang from Germany um, and previously from Iceland. Um, great guys who worked on uh, EVE Online, actually, at CCP. And they're making an amazing game called Seed. Um, it's, it's similar in some ways to RimWorld, but kind of massively multiplayer over a whole planet and persistent with huge numbers of, of kind of actors and things within it. Um, those guys are brilliant. They've done incredible things with Spatial in a very short time. Um, we've also launched our open platform about eight weeks ago, stealthily, with Google. And we've had a few thousand people sign up, and now there's devs on the forums, like helping each other. So we have a Slack channel at work, and every now and then it's like someone's helping someone. Oh. Like it's, it's happening, the community, it's spreading. So yeah. Has it, has it been difficult um, getting people to look at sort of brand new tech and to and to, and to trust you with it? I mean, there's nothing that's more of a turnoff than the phrase "distributed operating system." Yes. Um, that's so what you know, hear. For, for us. <laughs> for us, um, we're trying to do something that's kind of a new category of thing. 
Um, it's, it, there's not an easy way to describe it. And a lot of people are like, well, are you servers and hosting? We're like, well, we cover that. They're like, are you a game engine? No, you can, you can plug in any game engine, Unity or Unreal. We solve the problem of making a world come to life, of, of having to use more compute than any one server or engine could ever do. That's a tough thing for people to see. What, what's really good, though, is it takes about 12 minutes after you've installed to start a tutorial and instantly deploy a world yourself and see what the game can do. Um, and we can also show off a lot of the live worlds. I, I say it takes 12 minutes. If you find bugs and it stalls and that doesn't happen, feel free to send me hate mail and we will fix it. Um, it is still an alpha, well, beta as of, as of yesterday. Is Lazarus one of yours as Yes, well? it is. Um, amazing. Two guys. Like, and and the, the Spilt Milk crew are, they're literally, I've never seen two people more like deadpan in their ambition. They're just like, yeah, we're going to make a MMO with like, 3,000 concurrent people and massive flowing asteroids. Okay, how many of you are there? Like 100, 500, two. Okay then, so you're crazy, right? And no, they've just been like holed up in our office and we feed them noodles and they've just kind of like built this thing in months, um, which is really good. It's actually live right now. Um, and they've kind of like, they're heading towards like more of a launch with additional features from the community. Um, so we're just seeing this like explosion of innovation. I mean, six games we're gonna talk about tomorrow, I think. Um, and we've been live for eight weeks. And there are some larger studio collaborations, but you know we, we can't yet talk about those. Um, so we're hoping to soon. So, uh, wh and why are you um, are you looking for anyone in particular in opening your San Francisco office? Are you? Yeah. So um, you know, part of building trust with the community is creating a great team that can work with that community that really understand the industry. You know, we're very much outsiders. Um, you know, we're we're like computer scientists and programmers from like Google and Amazon and places like that. We see the need to bridge the gap and work with experienced developers. So some of the people that we're looking for are great people who've been uh, kind of developers, engineers, producers in the games industry that are looking to help us like usher in kind of new types of games. Um, we like to really believe in our customers. So when people have ideas, they want to build something, we like to be able to supply a team that can help them as well if possible for some of the more interesting projects. So that's happening here. We're also growing our core engineering team uh, in San Francisco, uh, our executive team. We're hiring a bunch more people to help us run the company as well. Um, so things are expanding pretty quickly. So, like, how big is too big? Because everything I hear about Improbable, it's about size. You know, World <laughs> of Drift is this huge open game. Um, Spatial OS can render these, like, giant open, uh, you know, like, massive multiplayer worlds. But, you know, as, you, as you're working on this tech, like, like, what is the limit of what you can create? And what kind of games do you think are bad fits for Spatial OS? Well, as everybody knows, a game is good in proportion to the number of things in it. And, and that's a very, very well-known rule, right? So Worlds of Drift is 2,000 square kilometers, so it's actually 2,000 times bigger um, and better than most, most other games. No, the, the truth is, scale is something we make easy. It doesn't make games good, but we make it easy. The real thing we improve, though, is the speed at which a team can iterate and build any kind of connected or online experience. So you can go from, like, I'm in Unity playing around to click a button and deploy something. I can share a link. Servers are handled. I've got something that can run basically in hours. So it's about creating innovation through speeding up iteration. And then when you want to do ambitious and big things, like you know more deeper AI or physics on the server side or things of that nature, it just flows naturally with, with Spatial. So when is, uh, when is your talk? Uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, what time is our talk? Sorry, 10. Yeah. Okay, oh, damn, I've got to wake up. I can't get so, through tonight. Yeah, so that's interesting, Herman. It's interesting. Are you up against anyone? Do you, know, do you know if you're up against anyone big? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we are. Um, you're up against uh, Sid Meier, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, we are, we are. So, you know, here's my plea to come see us and not Sid Meier, right? Sid Meier's made I would, amazing... I would, I would issue a similar plea, yeah. <laughs> which is come see me <laughs> and not Sid Meier. 
but you what know, if we combine our talks <laughs> together? We can defeat Sid Meier. I think we can, right? Like you know, I think we could do that, or we could just encourage people to watch Sid Meier on the Vault because yes. it'll always be there. Yes. It'll always, it'll always be, be there. Yeah, be a nice be Sunday there. afternoon, sitting and you can, down. You can pause, rewind, pause, anything. Rewind. He'll say very, very important yeah. things. Might as well get our talks, one of our talks, out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Just get it done. Tick it off. Well, what I would say is, it's not just going to be me talking. There's six other developers. We're going to get them on stage, exactly. talk about their vision of their game, and as, as Herman so support them. As as Herman's just just mentioned. Oh, sorry, you're talking with six others, or uh, the, yeah, the six yeah. Other so others. As, as Herman's mentioned, no, the bigger the number, the better the thing. Yes, it's always better. It's just me. It's just me. It's always better. And there's also another talk later on, uh, a panel session uh, with Rob Pardo from Blizzard, uh, Hilmar from CCP, myself, and Noah Falstein from Google. We're going to be talking about the future of online games. So that's going to be fun. And when is that? Um, what? That's at four. That's at four. That one sounds great. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> what? Okay, you can't that's come to that to one pick. unless you've come to the first one. That's the deal. So. And then, and then what happens once your speak, speaking obligations are over? What are you going to do for the rest of GDC? Um, frantically uh, help the team out as we expand. And like, there's so many cool things happening. There's new people jumping on board and using our tech even now. So we have like a live platform. So I'm trying to help the team with that. Um, we're hiring. So we're literally wandering around the floor going, hey, you. Work it improbable, and uh, that's our interview process. Have you had that? No one's ever done <laughs> yeah. that to me. I've heard I that happen. Right. That's not that's complete. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, we, we're actually known as a, a center of, of technical excellence in London, and how we've achieved that is we have a foolproof interview process. We just carry around an improbable Rubik's cube, and if we throw it at you and you catch it, you're in. Oh, that's right. it. Top end salary, okay. just catch. Got it. Always be prepared. Right? If you drop it, you're blacklisted forever. Right? And, what you know, if we find an improbable Rubik's cube, just carry it around and then pretend <laughs> then, it. then you're a thief, and legally you should be punished. That's, that's my view. So. That seems fair enough. Good. Well, best of luck with the talk tomorrow. No, you. uh, you've got a party on as well tomorrow, yeah, tonight. Don't you? Um, oh, we're, tonight. We're buying a bunch of people drinks with a Google Improbable Mixer. I know tomorrow night there's another one. Sorry, my bad. There's a, it's at six. Two parts. Yeah. The Lots people behind you, they have far more. Well, we should, we should point yeah. out that we haven't had a guest where he's been able to look out to the audience and go, "When's that happening?" And, <laughs> and passes by going, "Ten tomorrow. We're coming to you, not Sid Meier, nor Steve." <laughs> what if Sid Meier can be convinced to come? To <laughs> right? really then we're all. Then we're all. <laughs> I'm hoping he doesn't walk past now and just go. One. I, would, I think I would to. fall over in reverent worship if okay. that happened. So that would Excellent. be. Bad. I wouldn't. I just shake my head and walk away. Oh. <laughs> Thank you're you so much for coming on the show. Best of luck with the talks tomorrow. Thanks very much. Cool. Thank you. Good to meet you guys. Thank you. Welcome back to GGC 2017. Uh, I am sitting here on the couch with the cast of One Life Left, who is not versus Gama Sutra, but with Gama Sutra. We are broadcasting live from the show floor. We have two new guests today. Guests, why don't you uh, introduce yourselves? Um, hi, my name is Lisa Brown. I'm a game designer. My voice is very husky because I've given three talks so far here at GDC. Um, <laughs> I, I've worked in AAA for a while. I did indie thing for a while, and then I'm going back to AAA, so I've been all over the place. <clears throat> all right. Hey, my name is Martina Spons. Uh, I am a, a mobile game publisher, and I focus fully on uh, publishing games for uh, an audience of older women. So it's like hidden object games, match tree, time management, those kind of games. So let's talk about that, because I want to give Lisa's voice a rest. Um, but we'll come back. And three talks? What is it with three talks before Tuesday? I don't, well, they were all summit talks, so, you know. All right. So um, how did you get into the business of publishing games for, for older ladies? And, and what do you find is um, most successful there? Um, so I've, I've been publishing casual games for 10 years. And first I was on the web with Flash Games. And then four years ago, I started my this, this own company. Um, and in terms of most successful, um, 
you know, it's obviously there's those huge casual hits like, for example, the Candy Crush of, of you know, the, the, those, those type of games of these worlds. Um, but overall, games are like really an engaging story. If you look at, for example, it's popular on TV, there is, you know, for the last 50 years or whatever, always these like crime uh, teamed movie, TV Midsummer shows murders, have been yeah. really, yeah, exactly, Midsummer Murders, CSI, House, whatever you name it, that's always popular. And that kind of mystery murder theme always does well with casual games as well. Lisa, do you have a favorite uh, murder TV show? Because mine is Midsummer Murders. <laughs> I do not have a favorite murder TV show. I'm sorry. <laughs> on, uh, all of Midsummer Murders is on Netflix. You should watch it. It's great, especially the early seasons. So, Lisa, if you can, in as few words as possible, tell us what you were talking about. Okay, so... Talk One. Talk One was called Everything I Said Was Wrong. Again, it, it we're is, hearing that a lot. It is what I call the bad advice talk. It was a series of micro-talks where... For the Indie Summit, we um, talked about advice that we once gave, that we believed in, that we stood by, and that we think was kind of garbage, actually, you know? <laughs> I think Rami referenced on our, f- on our first show uh, this year, on Monday night, I think Rami referenced your talk. Yes, it was me, Rami Ismail, uh, Liz England, and Dan Cook. Okay. And uh, it was pretty great. It had really good reception. What was the, the wrongest advice? <laughs> um, I think the theme of everyone's was that context is everything, and that you don't get to pick who takes your advice, like when you're doing a talk, like you don't get to pick how people interpret it. So just to be aware that there's often risk involved with yeah, yeah. giving advice. Um, but no, it was it was good. It was fun. Got to like get some things off my chest that I used to say that I'm like, why? Why, why that was terrible. Why did I say that? You're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so the the second one uh, was for the level design workshop, um, talking about working on 3D games. Uh, and then going to work on Hyperlight Drifter. Okay. So, um, and then the third one was about academic residencies for the Education Summit, because last year I spent the year doing a residency with the university. I was their game designer in residence, helping their game students, like advising projects and stuff like that. So uh, I'm not familiar with how that works. I know how artists in residence yeah. work at you know, other institutions yeah. and companies and generally they have to produce a body of work over that year which is displayed did you have to do that as well um it was more that uh i was given the freedom to work on my own projects it wasn't like i had to produce something so i was like free and flexible to use the time how i did i made uh, several small games and i also spent a lot of it learning new tools learning vr stuff and then just a a lot of writing and streaming and stuff okay uh martina Obviously, GDC, like a lot of people who don't know about the conference, would assume it was focused on uh, video games, which to you know our radio audience back home, uh, it's it's a very very broad audience. It's not people who necessarily know a lot about video games, and they would assume people at a video game conference are one thing. Does this conference match those expectations, or do you see sort of diversity here? Um, I think there's there's always been diversity when you look at at games, and it's clearly represented here as well. Um, um, you know, one thing I'm happy to see that uh, also here, you notice that more women are getting in the industry. As in, you know, now I have to stand in line for the bathroom, or ten years ago I didn't. Um, <laughs> 
And you've also seen that represented at the, the show floor. Uh, when, you, for example, you go over to GDC Play and you have a look at all the indie games that are made. You know, it's not just like typical shooters or whatever. It's like any type of game for, you know, for kids, for women, for older people, for blind people, whatever. So there's, there's really, um, you know, all, all, the, all the needs are filled. There's really a game out for everyone. Do you find people make that misstep, though, when you say you work on video games? People make an assumption that they're one thing. Not that often anymore. It, it used to be more, um, you know, like I said, 10 years ago, that used to be the thing. Like, oh, isn't that just all, like, dudes in smelly T-shirts who eat pizza and drink Coke? <laughs> um, but nowadays, everyone seems to kind of understand that, if, you know, everyone plays games. And I think that is also thanks to the... Um, the big companies who can afford to uh, spend budget on TV ads. You know, you see ads for Candy Crush, for Classic Clans, for, for Game of War, a big variety, really. And what is um, the market like for uh, games, the demographic that you make games for? Like, are, are there more and more games for uh, older women? Um, you know, the kinds of games that you make? Um, or are you sort of like out there on your own? No, I'm definitely not out there on my own. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's always been like a, big, a few big players who who focus on this on this audience. Uh, companies like Big Fish Games is you know a good one that they, they've been in this space for over 15 years, I think. Uh, but what I see is that there's more companies spending big budgets on creating really uh, high quality experiences, um, whereas back in the online flash days, the casual games were typically the sort of the, the lower budget. Uh, quick and dirty type of games. Yeah, I think it's like an overlooked market. I remember uh, a year or two, I think it was maybe two years ago at GDC, there was a talk about uh, ageism in the game industry. And one of the speakers um, made the point that like, uh, as people get older, they don't get tired of games. Like They don't age out of it, typically. But no one really targets games to people above 50. And so if you make games for that audience, you have a much like a much wider market and a much like much less competition. Yeah. Is that still on point in your in your case, or is like is this is it filling up? Are you seeing more competition as the years go by? Um, yeah, I, I I do agree that um, you know you see like the, the the people who used to like play games thirty years ago on their Ataris and stuff. You know they they got older and they still like games. Um, there's not as much like really targeting specifically for those people, but if they liked. For example, an arcade shooter game 30 years ago, there's no real reason why they shouldn't like it anymore right now, right? I mean, maybe, maybe they're not as good as it anymore because of, you know, reflexes as we grow older, you know, it's, it would become less good at that. But for us, I don't think that there's a real reason that that age group really needs to have specifically games designed for them. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I think about, like, what it takes to, to navigate through, like, a, like a modern first-person shooter or whatever in, like, 3D space and the 3D levels and stuff uh, and how... Uh, how approachable that is to me and how uh, it, it is approachable to people as they get older. Like, there's no barrier to go through. Um, Lisa, you you talked about sort of, like, taking your, your level design skills and applying them to Hyperlight which is, like, a flat 2D plane, right? So, like, how did you... Like, what is that like? How did you apply to, to designing a game like that? Well, most of the talk was about how when I first started, I was kind of afraid. Like, I wasn't sure if anything would carry over. But there's a lot of <clears throat> general design principles that definitely did that are sort of agnostic of genre or camera view that ended up like coming into play. Like still thinking about like player like feeling of survivor survival or how to isolate combat spaces and stuff like that. Still like ended up being basically all the muscles I built up making 3D games still were ap applicable making a, an overhead 2D game. Yeah, I should say, like, if people don't know, you used to work in Insomniac, right? Yeah. And uh, you have a new job, right? Yes, I'm, as of, like, yesterday, I'm going to be going and joining the team at Bungie, 
on their same sandbox gameplay design team. So went AAA, indie, back to AAA, but it's a very different um, like context than what I was doing in Insomniac. So it should be pretty exciting. Uh, just quickly before uh, we end this segment, any talks that you would recommend people see over the rest of the week? Um, Jason Vandenberg always gives great talks, and he's giving one about uh, creative vision, I think, tomorrow at like 11-something. Um, I'm definitely going, but uh, I always recommend his talks because he's just so good at them. Um, there's, there's two talks that uh, come back every year, and I always recommend them. One is the Micro Talks, uh, and I'm not sure when, when it's scheduled. Uh, I think it's tomorrow somewhere. Uh, just a bunch of people like really doing, um, you know, uh, sp- I think five-minute presentations, and um, you know, it's it's always fun to see what they try to cram in there. And the other one is the uh, experimental gameplay session. So it's just crazy to see what uh, what developers come up with. Okay, brilliant. Thanks both of you for coming on the show. Have a good show. Welcome back to the show floor of GDC, a winter what might be our final interview segment here, but something uh, just reminded me, I just reminded me of something that hasn't happened this year because of our new circumstances. So when we were up on the, uh, we used to be on a long, thin table by the escalator. Uh, that was where we used to sit. Now we've got a more informal lean back Very couch informal. You lot can lean back, I have to lean forward. Yeah, it's, it's nice. There's some leaning anyway. <laughs> but when we were up, sat on the uh, elevated platform on this big, long table, occasionally people would come and ask us where things are because they thought we were help. Yeah, yeah. And we're actually the opposite of help. We're, we're hindrance. Very unhelpful. Is what we are. We've got two new guests, don't we? Uh, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Uh, I'm Jen Sandercock. I'm a game designer. I am working on a game called Thimbleweed Park, which is an adventure game. And I also make edible games. Hello. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Alex, talk to Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Alex Sleetwood. I'm the founder of a studio called Sensible Object. Uh, we've made a uh, connected dexterity game called Beasts of Balance, and I ride unicorns in my spare time. <laughs> Can you eat it? Uh, Beasts no, of Balance. You can neither eat the Beasts of the Balance nor the Unicorns. There was some chat uh, I saw recently. I don't know how serious it was. The, the thing about being at GDC is you're so out of what's going on elsewhere. You only yeah. pick up these um, nuggets. Uh, uh, but there's been a lot of information coming out over the uh, last few days about the Nintendo Switch, which launches at midnight tomorrow night. Might be some available at 10 o'clock at GameSpot, I've been told. Sorry, GameStop. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, someone said uh, that they had tasted the Nintendo Switch carts. Yes. And apparently they taste deliberately bad to stop I've seen you eating that. them. And the interesting thing about it is, right, that, that came out and someone said, yeah, I've just tried it and it tastes horrible, so don't do that. And everyone laughed. But then everybody else has gone, yeah, I tried it too. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was full how, of Zelda. How many, how many people need to say it tastes bad before you go, yeah, yeah okay, I won't eat it then. So I just won't. don't eat them. Yeah. But maybe you just want to know what sort of bad it tastes like. You know, does it taste bad like, you know, too much horseradish? Is it too much, like, or does it taste bad like you're eating poop? I don't know. Well, why don't you tell us, uh, what, what, what does your game taste like? <laughs> <laughs> well, so this particular one tastes delicious, but I do have one where it, it's called um, Flavor Roulette, and you've got, like, four different tastes and four different people playing, and you each take it in turns to eat one, and you've got to, like, pretend like you've got the one that doesn't taste super gross, so you're like, mm, yeah, it's totally cool. <laughs> 
It's good. So you make edible games. Tell us a bit more about how that works. And wh- what's the difference between works. an edible game and a non-edible, inedible game? Well, so these games you actually have to eat the pieces and eating is one of the core gameplay mechanics. So it's not so much um, just about like eating as a reward. It's like eating somehow informs the game or makes the game different, changes the space, changes things by eating Okay, this is a, a sort of rule set I'm only familiar with. I guess you would be more familiar with games like Risk Legacy and things that we've talked about where you are damaging the board as you go. But here you are destroying it forever. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard, I've heard... Uh, yesterday I was in a board game talk and they were talking about uh, the Legacy games and talking about how they're consumable. And I'm like, you don't really mean consumable the same way I do, do you? <laughs> no, no. Okay, and you've got one of these things in front of us. It looks yes. delicious. Oh wow! Oh Too my delicious. goodness! So you're you're opening oh a box, and inside there is what? So what? this is this is the actual game board here. I mean, I know we're sort of on radio, so people won't so be able to see. Yeah, can you explain um, what the game board is made out of? Um, it's made out of gingerbread. Okay. And so it kind of looks like a chessboard, and then I have pieces in oh another box. Oh my goodness, box. it smells amazing. <laughs> oh, God, have you ever said that about a game before? Never. Never. Wow. I did. I set up at Indiecade, and people were like, I was trying to find you, and then I smelt you. <laughs> it, has, it has just hit me. They're just there. Isn't it nice? Isn't it? Yeah, it'll be out there nice? shortly. This is how we make games more appealing. Make them smell okay. good. So, so it's, uh, you say it's like a chessboard. How does it work? You've got a, a variety of pieces, one yes. of which is a marshmallow. I can see a peanut well, this butter is cup. Like the, and... This is the legend over here. So I end up with, okay. um, there's like white and dark squares, and you have okay. like a little piece that you move like a chess knight, and when you land on one of the dark squares, which is the sacred squares. You must consume it according to the sacred ritual as laid out in the sacred tome of the oven mitt. So there's like, you just got to do some very silly rituals while you're eating them and then um, and then because there's a hole on the board, you get to choose how to move all the other pieces around. Um, and so, because it's a two-player game, you're like, oh, I really want to have the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I don't want you to have that. So you might push <laughs> pieces away from them so that they I, can't get I them. I really want to have the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. <laughs> it's interesting. We talked, you know, we were talking at the start about whether this is a lean back or a lean forward show. Right now, it's really as a lean isn't forward, it? isn't it? So how do you how do you distribute these games then? Ah, so um, well, I don't really want to spend the rest of my life baking. So I'm planning to make a cookbook. So with uh, like a bunch of different games in it, and then I will work out how to sell said cookbook. Wow, Alex, uh, tell us about your different type of game. Uh, yeah, Beast of Balance. Uh, so uh, it's a stacking game. You've got all of these oddly shaped pieces. Uh, they're in a bag over there. And um, the kind of story of the game is your family of gods trying to create life uh, by taking these building blocks of life and building a tower out of them. Uh, and then there's some custom hardware and a connected app. So every time you stack an object in the tower, the power of that piece uh, affects your connected digital world. Um, that's better, isn't it? Uh, you, you were on the, the GDC show last year, weren't you? You've been on one of a couple of times. I we've... think I was on... I, I saw you in London. I think I was on the show two years ago. Was it that long ago? Right, yeah. so it's been quite a journey. That's right. No, I had... I was when it was just an enormous, slightly bonkers prototype called Fabulous Beasts. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's been... You know, I was... Uh, I, I, I was... whopped it out on the table. <laughs> I was sold immediately. Uh, uh, Kickstarter back. So it's been great to see... Um, it's been great to see the journey of you from uh, walking up with a, a weird bag of stuff to yeah. actually playing it with my son yeah. at Christmas. Uh, what's the reaction been like? Um, pretty amazing. Yeah, it's been very exciting. So uh, we've had a ton of lovely emails and tweets from families. and So actually, like, proper hardcore tabletop game enthusiasts like it. 
Um, it's an 8.2 on Board Game Geek, which is high. Like, that's where there's a lot of like, peer review kind of like sort of system. Um, and also, families like it. So, we get lots of, we've got lots of lovely emails after Christmas saying things like, my, my daughter and my son never play games together, but they played this together. Um, and we often try to get a family game at Christmas, and this actually was a family game in that right. the whole family played it. Absolutely. So, that was all lovely. Um, just been in, so I'm, I'm on a fair jag. I've just done London Toy Fair, Nuremberg Toy Fair, New York Toy Fair, because now GDC is kind of like from a sort of the business of what I do perspective is not the place anymore, really, because actually, like, it's people who we buy are no and longer sell. your people. That's what you're saying, is um, it? I've moved on. <laughs> I've ascended. No, I don't know. I think I've descended actually. Um, <laughs> uh, certainly, literally, like I've just spent five days in an airless, fluorescent lit bunker in New York. Um, flogging the game but that's also going quite well and okay. we, we should be seeing it in some big toy shops here in America sometime this year well, what, what happens next for it then? so a couple of things I mean firstly just trying to get better distribution more wide distribution um, so more people can get it uh, we've got a whole bunch of new uh, game modes in, okay. in the pipeline so the first one on the, on the uh, uh, what's the word chopping board slab pipeline thing is battle mode um, so and what's the, this is this just a software update or it's both it'll come with new pieces so right. everyone who's got the game will get a free software update so that you can play battle mode and that's like hey you bought an expensive game and you did probably back it on Kickstarter and you didn't even know it was going to be a thing so thank you very much here it is but then there is a physical upgrade bundle which will have amulets and cards okay. and extra pieces that wow. will make it cooler right um, so yeah and we're just uh, it's a bit of a harem scarum time at the moment we're just trying to figure out what to do in what order um, and what money to do it with but that's going to be happening sometime this year you could play Jenga with chocolate fingers <laughs> I, I have seen people do that with sponge finger biscuits really? and stuff yeah. that sounds yeah. delicious but I thought it would be better with um, shortbread because that's a very like mm. a that uh, a finger the, pro- the problem is yeah. you're not actually doing enough eating in it. So uh, that's one of the key things I've tried to make. What about if you take it out, you have a bite, and then you put it on? Oh, then it makes it super unstable. Yeah. yeah. yeah but that's good. Yeah. Perfect. Good. All right. So, um, finger. what percentage do we all own of this idea? <laughs> <laughs> Jen, tell us about your other work then, uh, Thimbleweed Park. Yes, so that's an adventure game. I'm a coder, designer, producer, everything on customer support on that. Um, so yeah, it's it's an adventure game in the style of like Lucasfilm games, and so we've got a bunch of Lucasfilm alumni like Ron Gilbert, Gary Winnick, David Fox, Mark Ferrari, who worked on Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion, a bunch of other games, oh and my so. God. Um, yeah, this, uh, this new adventure game, it's somewhat like we remember those games rather than how they actually were. Right, I, I was, yeah, I was going to ask, so, so, what, so, what are, so if, you, if you look at the screenshots, it could easily be an adventure game from that era, but what, what, what are the differences? Um, so if you actually put the, a screenshot from ours right next to, some, uh, to one of the older ones, you will, it's like not, like it, you, can, you think that the old ones look like that good but they didn't actually so I mean some of the subtle things in terms of art is there's like real time lighting so people walk into lights and the characters get actually lit Um, but then some of it's just game design like game design has moved on in the last 30 years so there's uh, to-do lists characters repeat information there's not crazy obtuse puzzles um, you can't die so yeah I always wanted to get into adventure games Uh, I missed them when I was a kid but they always seem too obtuse and long and confusing and I uh, I'm just not good enough so what do you think is at the core of adventure game design that makes them compelling 
um, that you're trying to, to, to drill down to? Uh, well, some of the, um, like I know Ron talks about, like he's not necessarily, like he wanted to recreate the charm of those games. And he said that he doesn't actually know what made those games charming. Yeah. <laughs> so that he would just like, you know, we're trying to make it somewhat similar to the other ones, but going, well, that's truly broken. We can't keep that in. Um, so I, th- I think some of what makes adventure games great is the fact that you've got a really interesting story and you've got interesting puzzles and they're very much interwoven together. So you can't really just do the puzzles or just do the story. You've got to do it all together. Yeah, I see an overabundance of charm uh, between these two couches. And I noticed that between the two of you, you're both working on very charming games. Alex, like, um, you know, besides being the better Alex on these two couches, like, uh, <laughs> what is it about um, uh, the game you're working on that, like, like, how do you make those things charming to children but also, like, uh, interesting for adults to play with? Because, uh, you know, when I hear Simon talk about playing with his kid, like, that is the holy grail for me as someone who may have a kid of my own. Like, I want something that is engaging and fun but also, you know, is cute and charming. Well, um, I think, firstly, um, no one gets shot in the head in our games, uh, okay. which is, you know, revolutionary, daring, yeah. out there concept. Bold. Um, I know. Um, so I think, uh, like, it's really important to the studio that we take a view on how we use technology in our games. So um, there's obviously, you know, you walk around the floor, you'll see... VR and AR and I heard some new ones today. Hyper reality. Yes. Yeah. Fine. That's now an HR. I know. <laughs> HR. <laughs> HR. Is that like if I, if I taste it, it tastes bad? Like uh, no, it's it's when you go to a place and then you put a VR headset on and you're kind of running around with a VR headset on. So there's somewhere called the Void in Utah oh. where you do that. So it's sort of theme park meets Laser Quest with VR. I don't understand. Um, but for us, like. We don't think many, that, actually that many people want to wear computers on their face. Um, that actually wearing a computer on your face is maybe not like a mainstream activity. So we're trying to kind of, and in a way, like we all have experiences, especially as parents, of like putting the screen between us and our kids or like rouse about how much video game time they can have, yada, yada, yada. So having the cool bits of the video game down here on the table, um, kind of supporting what is essentially just like this face-to-face social experience. Just getting the, getting the video game a bit out of the way slightly and letting humans have fun together seems to be a really kind of important thing about what makes it tick. Yeah, it's very tactile, right? Like, yeah, it's like, we could, like people like doing stuff together, you know, in real life. Mm. Um, I, I was going to yeah. say, I, I, um, for me, when I'm making games, I have this like set of core values that I use, and it's friendship, curiosity, and challenge. So any game I work on has to like kind of really have those aspects. So like if I'm designing stuff, I'm like, uh, is this going to help those three things, or you know, is it not? And that really helps hone what I'm doing. That's great. Um, well, thank you guys so much. Um, do you both have plans for the rest of uh, GDC? Have you got a lot going on? I'm, I, so I, I, I'm kind of done with most of my stuff now, which is great. Uh, did, did, did a talk and have done some meetings. I've got a couple of meetings tomorrow, but uh, I think mostly just now hanging out with friends and wandering about. And it's that party this evening, which... Oh, are we going to talk about that on the show? No, sorry. Uh, it's fine. We'll just use uh, Jen's core values for that. And do you have anything else? Uh, um, I'm going to be showing my edible games at the Experimental Gameplay Workshop later this week. Oh, that's excellent. Well, so if you are at GDC, definitely go along to that because uh, yeah. that will be... Or you can in- just join us all seeing Sid Meier tomorrow. Will it be tomorrow. the delicious game? <laughs> I, right. This one won't be playable. How early are you going to have to get there for Sid Meier? It's going to be like... Uh, 
you're not. You're going to come and see me instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You're on at the same time as Sid Meier? It's a thing. It's a mate. thing. And it's thankfully, a thankfully, this thing will be over tomorrow. Yes. This, with this conflict will be resolved. Yeah. Steve will have done his talk. Sid will be on the show. Sid will be very upset <laughs> that nobody was there. Uh, thanks once again for coming on. Uh, Alex, thank you for helping us out today. Oh, thank it's you been for a pleasure me. having you on. These couches are great. Let's come in every yeah. year. Are we going to yeah. see you again? Maybe. Sure. Oh, okay, yeah. good. That's good. great. Uh, thank you to uh, everyone that's tuned in on the Twitch stream today. Um, it's been lovely having you. Uh, Brian's been having chats with you um, in the little chat window. Um, tune in again tomorrow. We'll be on at 1, between 1 and 2 p.m. We've got more excellent, excellent guests. Thank you so much to the guests that we've had on today. This show will be up uh, as a podcast later. Um, see you tomorrow, guys. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.